0: Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. And now your host, A.L. Levy. This show is brought to you by URM Academy the world's best education for rock and metal producers. Every month on Nail the Mix, we bring one of the world's best producers to mix a song from scratch from artists like Meshuggah, Periphery, A Day to Remember, and Bring Me the Horizon. And we give you the raw multitracks so you can mix along. You'll also get access to MixLab, our collection of bite-sized mixing tutorials, and Portfolio Builder, pro-quality, multitracks cleared for use in your portfolio. You can find out more at NailTheMix.com. All right, welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine podcast. We're going to do uh, a show that has been widely requested. We used to do them all the time. For some reason, we stopped doing them all the time, really because I think that it. It takes a lot out of you to do this kind of show. But uh, this time, the lineup is going to be a little different. It's myself and Mr. John Douglas, who you guys should know by now. Hello, John. Hi. Hi. So, yeah, thank you for doing this with me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I
1: feel like, you know, I've been doing the one-on-ones for a while, and uh, um, I'm starting to get my own kind of workflow for, for doing these things so that it's not, you know, quite so mentally overwhelming. Um, or at least you can try and maintain some good advice. It's like, I don't want to give two out of six people on a
0: day, like crappy advice, uh, you know? Yeah. You you know what happens too, I feel like when you do too many of these uh, is the advice starts to get very samey. Yeah. Um, somehow. Cause your ears just get shot a little. Um, so th- I think that we just like as a podcast, we just kind of needed a break from doing these. So we're going to do a mix crit Monday on "Over It" by Bullet for My Valentine. The original mix is done by Mister Carl Bowen, who, in my opinion, is one of the very best uh, mixer, engineer, producers out there in metal. Today he came up under Colin Richardson, which was one of the very best metal producer mixers of all time. And, you know, what a, what a guy to come up from under. And so his work is just great. And we're very fortunate to have him on and very fortunate that Bullet from a Valentine said yes. And uh, looking forward to going through these mixes. Yeah. Let's do it. Uh, okay, so this first one is by Ian Babbitt. That was by Mr. Ian Babbitt, and overall, this is the best mix I've heard from Ian, so good job, Ian. It sounds like the song, it sounds like the band, yet here's my issues. The tones are good, nothing really sounds like shit, it's just a little too bright for my tastes, and overall the cymbals are a bit in your face and harsh, and I'm not hearing enough low end, and... That's overall my first real issue is in the intro because it doesn't sound like an intro. It just goes way too hard. If you compare it to the original mix where the dynamics is more sub- subdued, this one is balls out. And the hi-hat is too loud, and which helps it sound balls out. And the problem with that is when the full band comes in, it doesn't sound like, boom, now we're going. It just sounds like the mix just got bigger and things got more intense the moment the band comes in. So I think the dynamics and the feeling of it are just a little bit off, Um and I think one of the things that's missing here that's preventing it from sounding huge and driving is the bass tone and EQ. And you can hear that the bass comes in once the band comes in, but you can barely feel it. And if you contrast that with Carl Bounds mix, that's a huge differentiator. When the band comes in, you can really, really hear that gnarly bass tone and you can feel it underneath just thumping and swallowing other mixes in its path. It, it kind of in this one the band comes in the low end doesn't change it's like where's the bass that's that's my first main thought on it what do you think yeah I mean I, I was kind of thinking the same
1: thing like um, looking at it like on an analyzer uh, versus the original I, I think the like the sub kind of is in a similar place but that where the bass guitar is living right around like the 150 200 250 area um, seems kind of scooped probably just the probably the rhythm guitars too just that that whole like lower lower mid thing seems a little light and everything's just kind of congested up in the uh in the 3k
0: range um like you were saying yeah well that that kind of goes along with um the what I was about to say about the vocals well kind of goes along with what, what I was about to say about the vocals not really actually it doesn't really go along with what I was about to say with the vocals but going to say that when the first verse comes in, there's a vocal delay, uh, like a delay throw. And it's so distracting. It just kind of sounds like dude wanted us to hear that he put a delay on there. Um, it's not so much that a delay was dialed to fit the music. It's just, here's the delay. And again, if you compare it to the original, there's plenty of delay and effects on the vocals. But they're in there for texture. They don't dominate.
1: Yeah, they they printed some of those delays, um, and it's you know in in those cases it should be that much easier for you to just get what they originally were going for, um, and just try not to overdo it because yeah I mean it's easy to be like oh man look at that that adds so much depth and texture to this part and then you come back to it and it's like 6 db too loud so you know just keep that in mind when you're dealing with the vocal effects it's all, it's really about the lead that's you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe there's sometimes where it's like, "Ooh, that's a cool effect," but I think in general the effects are there to serve a purpose, as in give vocals more depth or more ambience or something like that. They're supposed to support the vocal more than be more important than the vocal.
1: Yeah, you know, for sure. Yeah, it's. I mean, you can kind of say the same thing about the the chorus effect uh, that's going on in the vocals in this song. It's like that's kind of a defining feature of of that vocalist's sound, but at the same time if you if you were to push it way too far, it would just turn into a chorusy mess and you would just be like, why is this guy covered in a chorus pedal?
0: So you're talking about that track that Carl included uh, shit. It escapes me what it's called, but it was a vocal effect track that...
1: Vocal pedal or something like that.
0: Yeah. well, He ran it through a bunch of electroharmonics pedals and, uh, like, boss guitar pedals. It's all guitar pedals, and it's all just, like, choruses and saturators and cool stuff. But it really, you know, it's exactly like you said. Um, When you put it in there at just the right volume... All it does is it adds this character and size and something unique to those vocals. It's just awesome. Whereas if you turn it up too loud, then it just starts to sound like, you know, passing the joint a little too much, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so On the other side, if you mute it, it's, it's kind of like,
1: it, it almost doesn't sound like Bullet for My Valentine anymore. Um, yeah, Which is an interesting exactly. thing that they've carved out a, a specific, you know, it's like chorus has been around for years, but somehow they've made that um, a defining attribute of their sound without
0: it being cheesy. So, good on them. I think that's, you know, that's kind of the beauty of music in a way. Like, I mean, you could say that, you know, that cliche of the same 12 notes that everyone's had, except... At least in Western music, um, but you, you know, it, it use the beauty or the genius in taking this further is in finding new ways to use the same tools. Or I mean, sometimes there's new tools, but not that often. So it's in in new ways to use the stuff that everybody's had for a while, with the exception of the Sooth plugin. That's new and awesome. <laughs> And and people should be careful with it. Just as a side note, yes, absolutely. It, you can go too far with it for sure. Okay, so another thing that I was thinking was that the bright symbol plus the lack of low end. Uh, let me just say the the bright overall uh, sound of the overheads and rooms, uh, along with the lack of low end, is really really apparent in the chorus and the kick and snare are very audible and in front of the entire mix and that's commendable but in the chorus it really starts to stick out in a weird way because it feels like there's no there's no like big audio blanket to go around it like big guitars and bass so i'm hearing a loud kick a loud snare, super loud cymbals that sound almost white noise-ish, vocals are at a decent volume, and guitars in the background, and, like, no bass. And I definitely think that if those cymbals were tamed, you'd have more room for the very important guitars. I mean, very, very important guitars. Um, and if you had the low end right, you wouldn't need to overcompensate with those drum levels. Yeah, for sure.
1: Um yeah, I think if if I kind of... If we just look at uh, his mix versus the original mix, kind of looking at that centered around the 3K area and then looking around like the the 200 area, you probably just kind of really zoom in on, on what's going on. So I'm just going to loop the the first heavy section for a minute.
0: Um, and for and this is... Is this from the original or from Ian's? This is Ian's. Uh, I guess I, I'm going to get a... Uh, level matched
1: first but uh. okay okay so that's Ian and then here's the original see so it's like immediately once you kind of flip back and forth you get uh, get some sort of Different perspective on it and it's like the first thing that I hear is is that kind of nasally thing in in the upper mids Um, So why don't we start there and just So I'm I'm rolling off uh, I'm putting EQ on the master bus at the end of the chain You know on, on the final mix and rolling off doing a high pass up to like 450 And then just compare that to the original So this, and this part doesn't have any vocals in it, but I'd say for this part, the, you know, the level of that lead guitar, you should probably look at that. And that's kind of, you know, I mean, lead guitars, generally you, you want them up in that vocal range, but it seems like it may be a little too much in this case. But It's pokey. Yeah. So this is like sweeping around like the 3K area. This is this is Ian's mix. And then versus the original. So if we just take something so like before that, if I just kind of make a cut around 3k. And then A B that. That already clears up so much.
0: Oh wow, yeah. It, this sounds so much better. You'd Like when you isolate the 3K like that in Ian's mix, it's so much more caustic compared to the original. I think that's a good word.
1: Yeah, and um, it's like even just looking on the frequency analyzer, um, I have like the the frequency graph of the original overlaid on top of uh, Ian's mix, so you can just kind of look at it and see the spike at 3K. Like, okay, well, there's a, there's a spot to cut right off the bat. Um, and then we can just kind of, okay, so we've saturated our ears with the high end. Let's switch it up and uh, low pass everything. This super low sub stuff is pretty even. Like, so here's Ian, and then here's the original. Here is like the sub of the the kick, or I mean the sub of the bass, and like no punch from the kick. I'm um, not. I don't know if that translates over Skype, but it does. Yeah. If we pull that low pass back up to maybe like 280, 300, and then AB. So this is Ian and the original. There's a big difference here in that, like 150. Let's see what we can boost around 150, 180, something like that, maybe. Go back to Ian's mix. So I'm boosting like 5 dB at 160. So it's a AB. So this is without the boost on Ian's mix. And then with it. So then, just those two EQ changes. Uh, I took some. I took about five dB out at 3.5 k and added five dB at 160. Um, so now let's listen to the full frequency uh, before after. Like idea, it's like already. that's kind of um, like you said. I mean, his tones were not bad. It's it's really just like dealing with the frequency buildup or lack of frequency buildup in certain
0: areas. Absolutely, it makes a huge difference. Like it takes away that. Uh, like before, when you were A Bing them, and when I was A Bing them earlier, making my notes, it kind of like at first when I heard Ian's mix, it sounds pretty good. But then you A B it, and it's like it almost sounds like an AM radio compared to the. Real thing because of that hole in the that hole around that one sixty area and then also the too much three k so like that makes a big difference. I have a uh, one last note here. Well, two, two. final notes on this one. Um, good job on getting the ghost notes to sound like ghost notes on the middle section. However, some of the rolls sound. A little machine gun-ish, but maybe that's in the genre. You still did a good job with the Ghosts. And again, I think the dynamics and feel are off here in the build-up part. Um, I do like that it's been brought down. That's correct. The build-up part should come down um, because it's coming down from a heavy part and then it's building back in to what should be the biggest part of the song. But... Didn't do enough to build the tension before the final chorus that comes back in. So when the chorus comes back in, it sounds way, way, way bigger than the buildup because the buildup was anemic. Um, if you listen to the original Carbound mix, you'll notice that it builds and builds and gets more and more chaotic. And then when the chorus comes back, it's not way, way bigger, but it's a little bigger. It's bigger. It's enough bigger to keep the song going, but he didn't sacrifice the drama of the buildup. Um and also there's a pause. There's a this is and this is like placed there very cleverly. Um pause between the end of the build-up and the beginning of the next chorus. That pause allows you to get bigger with the buildup because it provides a space between when you hear the chorus. So they're not right next to each other, um, you can make the chorus, uh, you can make the perception of the chorus be that it's bigger than it actually is in comparison because of that pause. So use that pause, that pause is there to help you.
1: Yeah, for sure. Ne- getting those dynamics right is, is really important. Um, I, I was listening to that, that build up, that snare roll buildup thing. Um, and it seemed like it was, it was pretty sampley on the original one, and it's one of those yes. personal taste things that, like, I feel like it's going to be interesting to see different people's mixes and how they. It's always interesting, to, like, especially Ghost Notey type stuff of like who can come up with the best version. Like, th- there was a similar part in, in that Bring Me the Horizon mix where, I think it starts out on like a snare roll, and it's just, that was like the first drum part that I heard in everybody's mix, and it was like so interesting to see how everybody treated it and tried to massage it into the right place. But it's a even
0: just something simple like that is, is really difficult to get perfect for, you know, this kind of dense mix. Yeah, and it's interesting. Oftentimes, uh, you know, what is deemed acceptable by the production community and the the people who sign off is not what drummers are cool with for this kind of part. Um it, it, I mean, I, these parts are always a little machine gun-ish. And that's why I said that maybe that's in the genre. Um, but he did do a good job, at least with the—I'm talking about Ian here. Um, Carl did a good job anyways. But uh, Ian at least did a good job with the lower ghosts of making them sound like ghosts. At least it doesn't sound like this weird machine gun blast beat trigger ghost ghost mess <laughs> so all right so let's move on to the next mix um okay this next mix is by Tordur hansen So that was by Tordor Hansen. And let me say, okay, first of all, except for the toms, the drums sound mainly like room mics and raw directs, and it really doesn't sound like much was done to these drums, besides the toms. The toms sound huge, but like too huge. You need to watch the low end on those, because they're going to they're gonna destroy a Master Bus compressor. I feel like these are the kinds of toms where Alan Duchess would call me up and be like, bro, you need to get a handle on your floor, Tom. Um, And I have gotten that phone call before. So yeah, um, watch that floor, Tom. Um, The intro levels are just wrong. It's like 90% raw drums, 5% guitar, 5% synth, and then suddenly the band comes in. Um, listen to the original intro. The intro is basically supposed to be the first time you really get that main riff given to you, and it serves that purpose of the song of being an intro. Uh, it shows you a riff that you're going to hear over and over, one of the main themes in the song. But right now, the intro in this mix is pointless because you're not really presenting the main riff. It just sounds like a raw drum playing Any thoughts on that? Yeah, that was my kind of first
1: thought. Was it sounds like a kind of faders up raw mix, Um, but and and I don't. I think that's in some ways it's a good exercise to do. Um, But if you're going to do it, you should definitely reference the original so that you're at least trying to get the balances uh, similar. Um, Mm -hmm. You can hear. I I feel like you can hear a lot of the elements in this mix, uh, but none of them sound that great it just sounds like it was yeah kind of raw
0: straight off the tape or straight off pro tools whatever well it's not it's not taking the song into consideration yeah it, it's like if you want to go raw fine like whatever but like it's missing the point of that intro on a on a song level and so in that case you miss the point of the song of that intro on a song level then the production, I mean, the mix choice is even weirder because it's like, it's raw as hell sounding and it doesn't serve the purpose. And so what's even going on here? Um, And I got to say that the raw nature of the drums, and by the way, I'm not against raw drums. When done right, I fucking love them. I might even like them better than the modern metal sound. Um, So this is not, you know, this is not me being all... Mr. Sample Dude but the raw nature of these drums really comes to bite the mix in the ass when the full band comes in after that intro because basically all you could hear are cymbals some raw snare a shitload of bass um and a guitar poking out through that and, and of course the occasional megatom um <laughs> like out of nowhere I think it really would
1: would be beneficial to just just If you're gonna take this kind of raw approach, strip it back to like, you know, your kick-in mic, your snare top mic, your your whatever tom samples tom whatever they are, um, overhead mics, you know, two rhythm guitars, the bass DI, just the minimum amount of tracks that you could possibly do, because it it sounds like you're trying to use all the tracks and throw them in all at once, and I think it may be. Uh, I can see how that would be overwhelming and you can't really focus on getting the parts right. So I would just stick with the minimum amount that you need to get a decent sounding mix and loop one section over and over, compare it to the original and get those relative balances right before you do anything else or bring in any synths or vocals or vocal effects or any of that stuff.
0: Absolutely. Um, Can talk about that, Tom, a little bit? So (laughs) basically... This tom needs to be gotten under control. And, you know, like, all right, I'm going to throw out a number here. But, like, you bring the power of that tom back by about 17%. And uh, then bring the power up on the kick and snare to match that. And uh, because right now there's all floor tom power, zero kick and snare power, and that just doesn't work. The only time you can hear the kick and snare doing their thing is in the verse, and intro, and even then, is very very subdued, and any instruments immediately drown them out. Um, got to become more comfortable with the direct mics, and possibly use some samples. I'm not just saying to replace them because these natural drums are great, but at least enhance them. Like you got to do something. This isn't working.
1: Yeah, find uh, find a sample that you like or that you don't hate and and see how close you can get the natural drums uh to match just like the frequency balance and and like the the punch of that sample. And you could do it with especially with well-tracked acoustic drums and and doing some of the cymbal gating tricks that we've been talking about on fast tracks and on nail the mixes. Um, you could you know as long as you know what you're going for and you're not afraid to uh, to do some serious cuts and some serious boosts, um, and you know how to get that cymbal bleed out of there, it's really not that hard to get your natural acoustic drum mics to sound consistent and, and punchy like
0: a sample would be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, i got to say, the only time I kind of like the snare is in the build-up, in that build-up section, Um the snare itself actually sounds all right. But, unfortunately, it gets weird as soon as other drums start happening. And the buildup doesn't really work because, guess why? The floor toms in the buildup sound bigger than the chorus that comes after it. A lot bigger. So the chorus is actually a step down. Because, you know, it's like snare, snare, snare. I mean, some guitars come in and then, like, kick and toms or whatever and it's building 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 and then boom chorus but in this case in the build-up the toms are so huge that it sounds like the chorus after is a step down so uh, basically this tom ruins the entire mix i think like that just to put it nicely it may be uh you know
1: i think even even with good sounding toms um once you get them in the mix, especially if there's kind of a variety of whether, you know, there may be Tom fills where he's playing 16th notes and then there's like the thunder Tom parts. um, And those are going to require some pretty drastic automation. If not processing them completely differently, if not augmenting them with other mega Tom hits, Um, you know, obviously getting the Tom to be loud enough, is not the problem in this case, but just, just goes to the point of uh, Toms can be tricky to get them, just in that perfect place. Um, And it's really easy to make them way too loud and have them fart out your car speakers constantly.
0: Yeah, because they're fun. It's fun to get mega Toms. Like, there's something validating and manly or something about it. Like, it's just like, yeah, Toms! But, like, you don't realize that you're, you're crushing the mix. And I don't mean that in a compression sort of way. You're just like... Crush well, even though that happens, you're crushing it in a bad way, like you're crushing it like a can and throwing it away. <laughs> it's just it doesn't go well. Um, it's a very quick and easy way to destroy a mix. So, here's my suggestion and tell me how you feel about this. My suggestion is start over, um, and really, really work on getting an even but powerful drum sound with a full kit where the shells all have similar punches as each other. Start there. Go from there, then worry about the rest of the song.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's good advice, um, especially yeah. If you're gonna stick with the raw drum thing, you gotta at least have those kick and snare banging um, and get those overheads in there, and then from there you can just kind of massage the guitars and bass in. Um, that should be a little less work because they're recorded really well.
0: Yeah, exactly. And at that point, you know, if you bring in the guitars and. Uh, the kick starts to disappear a little. At that point, you can decide. Maybe I need to give it a little bit more of an extreme EQ in the five or eight range. Uh, once the guitars are in, or maybe I do need to add a sample. But at least you'll be coming from a, you'll be coming from a starting point of balance and power with your drums, and can decide accordingly.
2: Yeah,
1: and I, I think it's probably going on the. The topic of like templates and speed mixing um it, having like a, a ready to go chain for uh natural kick and snare and toms probably too really um is one of those things it's it's fairly easy to template out um and, and just have you know a handful of parameters that you change for each snare drum so um, maybe consider doing that, even if you, so, you know, you could still do your kind of raw faders up style mixing, but at least your, your initial drum mics are getting some,
0: getting some love that, you know, gets us a lot closer to the final product. Yeah, I mean, look, man, let's be real, uh, drums, especially in this genre, whether you're going sample or not, do need a lot of love in order to sound right. It just it just is what it is
1: yeah i mean find find what kind of uh moves that you're making over and over on drum mm-hmm. to get it to that place for me it's usually cutting a ton of like three four hundred and a cutting a ton of 1.2k or what something around there and then uh you know from there things seem a whole lot easier once you've gotten rid of 24 db
0: of garbage or whatever <laughs> Absolutely. Hey everybody, if you're enjoying this podcast, then you should know that it's brought to you by URM Academy. URM Academy's mission is to create the next generation of audio professionals by giving them the inspiration and information to hone their craft and build a career doing what they love. You've probably heard me talk about Nail the Mix before, and if you're a member, you already know how amazing it is. At the beginning of the month, Nail the Mix members get the raw multi-tracks to a new song by artists like Bring Me the Horizon, Gojira, Asking Alexandria, Machine Head, and Papa Roach among many, many Others. Then at the end of the month, the producer who mixed it comes on and does a live streaming walkthrough of exactly how they mix the song on the album and takes your questions live on air. You'll also get access to MixLab, our collection of dozens of bite-sized mixing tutorials that cover all the basics, as well as Portfolio Builder, which is a library of pro-quality multi-tracks cleared for your use in your portfolio so your career will never again be held back by the quality of your source material. And for those who really want to step up the game, we have another membership tier called URM Enhanced, which includes everything I already told you about and access to our massive library of fast tracks, which are deep, super detailed courses on intermediate and advanced topics like gain staging, mastering, low end, and so forth. It's over 40 hours of content, and man, let me tell you, this stuff is just insanely detailed. Intense members also get access to one-on-one office hour sessions with us and Mix Rescue, which is where we open up one of your mixes on a live video stream, fix it up, and talk you through exactly what we're doing at every step. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, if you're ready to level up your mixing skills and your audio career, head over to urmacademy.com to find out more. Okay, moving on. This one is by Mr. Brad Higgins. All right, that was by Mr. Brad Higgins, and um, I do personally think that was the best of the three. Uh, what do you think?
1: Um, I don't know. I you
0: don't have to you don't have to agree with me, but uh, I
1: think I might go with Ian's just because it sounds a little more modern to me. Um, just from the raw tones, um, whereas I feel like this one is a little more mid-rangey or something. Um. Although I do... Well, think, let's get into what that or something is. Yeah, I, well, I guess the thing that I really like about Brad's mix is uh, that the low end seems pretty close to the original.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, that's... Well, I guess to me, that's the big thing. I feel like that's what separates the men from the boys when it comes to modern mixes is that low end. And I really do think it's really the one of the hardest parts of of mixing heavy music. Um, well, I think, I think it can
1: be, um, especially if, I mean, the the thing that's made the biggest difference for me is just being able to roll things off and listen to it that way. Um, it, mm-hmm. it, it was just kind of impossible for, for me, the way my ears were without being super in tuned or trained or whatever, um, to be able to separate, what was going on down there from from the rest of the mix? Um, even even if logically I could think about it, well, I'm just supposed to ignore the high end of the the kick and the snare. It's, your ears are not just going to ignore it because you're you're logically that makes sense. You have to actually like roll off the frequencies, um, <laughs> otherwise your brain is going to start playing tricks on you. So um, it, you know, I I think the biggest thing if you if you simplify it to the point where you're just looking at a couple elements like kick the, you know, the bottom of the kick, the bottom of the snare, the bottom of the bass and some guitar, then um, it, it just think about it that way and reference something that you trust has good low end. Then that makes it simpler, but for sure um, getting to that point mentally of, of being able to work that way, that apparently people definitely get hung up on it.
0: It's, you know, well, I, I did. I remember, is that, well, I have a, personal question about your mixes because i remember a long time ago when i say a long time ago i don't mean that long i mean like maybe around 2013 or 14 um your mixes were good but they're not as good as they are now like uh it's kind of like you hit some i've watched you go through different periods where your shit gets way way better in a short period of time and then like You know, like, then it plateaus for a while, and then it gets way, way better. I think that's how most people evolve. But I remember once, maybe 2013 or 14, uh, you were having a problem getting enough low-end in your mixes, and you told me that it was because you didn't have a good way to hear low-end, and so you were afraid of... Adding too much, and so like you were erring, you were consciously erring on the side of caution. How did you overcome that? I think a
1: lot of it was was like really um, if well, you know, it, it sucks to say, but if you can't trust your ears on something, you've got to trust your eyes, or you know, you have to have some tool to be able to uh, be able to make up for what it is you're not hearing. Uh, so in this case, it's like if I can look at it on an analyzer and see, well, first I'll check my ears and say, well, the, the low end sounds roughly in the ballpark. Let me check an analyzer and see what's going on at like 35 hertz versus 60 hertz versus 80 hertz versus 120. Because if I just listen to it on my own, I might not be able to tell the difference uh, between 60 and 40 or, you know, 100 and, mm-hmm. and 60. Um, and that's, that's, I think that's one of the things that, Um, you see a lot of in in amateur mixes is a build up around 80 and 100 where people can actually hear the stuff coming out of their speakers um, and then it dies off around 60 Um, I don't know if I had that problem so much but I was just generally I think for one thing I wasn't referencing um, until the end of the process and once I stopped doing that and and actively started referencing as I'm building tones and as I'm balancing things Mm -hmm. Um, that made a huge difference and and just being able to have something aside from another human's opinion, like if, if I can use my analyzer as a kind of, okay I know it's matching this other song down to like plus or minus 1dB uh, that kind of stuff or, or you know, checking the high end really, I, I had similar problems with over boosting the high end or having my mixes be too dark and kind of Trying to find the balance between that that too, so yeah, honestly, just breaking things down into frequency bands and trying to um, do anything I can to change my perspective, whether it's mono or, uh, or or whatever, different speakers, anything.
0: Interesting. Like I never thought that I mastered low end or anything, but there was a time period around 2013 or something where it got way better. Like it it turned a corner, like for sure. Um, I started to understand it a lot more, and I was doing things like that. I was separating things into frequency bands and just analyzing the bottom of the kick with the bottom of the snare with the bottom of the guitars. How does this work together? How does it work together in a bunch of mixes I like? But I digress. We're running out of time here, and I want to talk about Brad's mix some. So um, let me go back to my notes here. Um, to me, uh, this was the best of the three mixes Mainly because uh, I feel like the overall levels are the best. Um, but I would say that there may be a hair, too much low end on the kick, either that or not enough of that 5 to 8K click on it. It's just, it sounds okay when there's very few guitars or not much bass, but just gets k- kind of lost. Normal, you know, that's a normal thing when everything comes in. Um, I love, though, that the low end comes to life when the main song comes in. Uh, it, like That's great. That's what some of the other mixes are missing. And that's actually, I went through the Rocktagon, and I listened to a lot of mixes. And that's something that, by and large, the community is messing up, is getting that low end right between the intro and when the main band comes in. So I'll say one thing that is bugging me, though, is that the snare just sounds really dry. Um, It's like I'm hearing some direct mics and very little room or reverb however you would go about giving the snare some ambience. But I'm not hearing any of it, and it's important. I don't think this is meant to be a raw-sounding song. Now, let me say, though, that the dryness works a little bit in the verse, a little bit. like, if it's gonna work in any of these parts, it kind of works in the verse a little bit. Um, intro where there's, you know, where there isn't a wall of guitars and stuff. Um, I just honestly wish it had a little more ambience. I'm not gonna knock it on the verse if that's the artistic choice. However, it only works until heavy guitars come in. Um, and I suggest watching nail the mix episodes where, uh, different mixes are discussed for different sections. Like, I believe Taylor Larson did that in the Asking Alexandria one. Um, Man, we've done so many, they kind of run together. But, like, any Nail the Mix where we cover that topic, the first one that comes to mind is Taylor Larson Asking Alexandria, is to have a different drum mix for a different part.
1: Yeah, that's what I was going to say, too. And, uh, yeah, the the more you can learn to deal with um seemingly complex tasks like having multiple drum kits within one session but just simplify it down enough so that it's uh manageable um you don't want a hundred tracks of drums to start off your <laughs> session with um but yeah i i guess i had to, i had some of the same kind of feelings um I, th- I think the low end is is pretty killer. Uh, the main difference I heard was just kind of if you if you roll off um, up to you know 450 again somewhere like that. So this is uh, this is Brad's mix. And then this is the original. Like the overall frequency response is kind of similar, but it's just like the elements in there, like like you said the the punch of the snare is is way different. so here's uh, yeah, the original mix, like that pop of the transient is like, yeah, it sounds like a transient designer or something pushed pretty hard um, and then maybe if we put it in the mono, we could probably tell like the relative balance between some of the the mono and then the stereo guitars. Like the vocals could probably come up a little bit and be a little, yeah, I think so, yeah, as well. Um, I mean, everything is a sounds a little, a little mid focused to me. so. This is Brad around 500 hertz, and then the original, actually, you know, this is pretty similar. I guess I was wrong there. Um, though. it does. It sounds like we need some more yeah. presence in the symbols for sure. I um, agree with you on that. Yeah, um, I think that's a pretty common thing. Is either either people have like a big build up at like eight k in the symbols that needs to be cut. I think that's sometimes maybe that's just a certain pair of mics that gets commonly used, or certain symbols have that, um, or or the symbols are just way too low and everything else is trying to compensate for that high in brightness. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think in this case, if you can just kind of work on the the more mid-range and upper mid-range stuff, uh, now that you've got the low end in place, you're kind of well on your way. But yeah, main thing, like you said, the punchiness of the snare, uh, just really, I think, yeah, that seems to be a common thread between some of these mixes is just getting the natural
0: drums to sound a little more slamming. Um, and you and, know and the ambience get the ambience right yeah, I think sure. that's really important nobody wants to hear just uh, the direct snare you want to hear the the big bloom of the snare uh, in the room unless it's a rage against the machine record or something um, I, I guess I have a couple more notes um, uh, I think the build up isn't smooth um, it sounds like the snare show at first like the snare is Way loud in that build up, um, and then when the f- guitars first come in, it's like boom, jarring. Sounds like there's no fade on that guitar track that just comes in. I don't mean like a long fade. I mean like a micro fade, the kind of stuff that you put on tracks so that they don't sound like they just like popped out out of nowhere and hit you in the head. Like um, it sound, it sounds like it's just there. Uh, and then as the elements add to the the snare just kind of gets lost and things start getting buried. Now, look, I was taught by a very good mixer that one of the ways you get things to work in a mix is not by turning everything up, that as you get elements, you turn down the things around it. And so I know that that's how you should do things most times, but in this case, I don't think it's really working too well. Um, it's not really it. It just seems like everything gets smaller as more elements get added and things start getting buried more. Um, I guess the example that I was giving though is like say you have um, heavy rhythms and a lead guitar comes in, uh, you know, but you don't want the guitar to. Blast your head off! You balance it with the rhythms, and then you turn the rhythms down like half a dB. That's kind of a, a traditional way to work in a lead guitar. But uh, but this is not really doing that. It just sounds like things are getting smaller and smaller and smaller as it gets crowded and crowded and crowded. Um, and I think that the problem, the uh, like, I'm convinced that the problem is that it started with the snare too loud. Um, so he ran out of headroom but as he started to build it like the snare at the beginning of the build-up is just like fucking blaring and there's not there's not much space to go from there like you can't there's nowhere to build up to so by the time the build-up was over it's not even a build-up anymore and anyways uh my verdict on this one though is a remix is not required um should polish the kick what do you think?
1: Yeah, I, I think um, I was just going to say on, on parts like that where or bridges or, or in between parts where um, it's just not quite working, maybe the rest of the mix, like the chorus, is working a little better. My kind of rule of thumb is just like do the biggest move that you can get away with or, you know, on as many different things as you can. Try and create as much contrast as you can without it sounding weird. Um, Mm-hmm. In this case, yeah, it probably starts with turning that snare down and then build it up from there um you know get get the build of the snare right and then build everything around that um and yeah, just in general see if see what happens if you turn down you know if if it goes to a choir to part, see what happens if you turn down some element of the drums like 6 d b like you know one of the common ones is like having really dry drums in the verse and then big room in the chorus or vice versa. So, you know, that kind of stuff,
0: just like see, see what you can get away with. Absolutely. Um, and I'd say in conclusion, polish that kick a little. Um, consider the high end on it so it doesn't get lost. Consider some ambience on the drums. Uh, consider a longer snare somehow, either through using the rooms and overheads or a reverb on it or a sample underneath it, um, especially in the choruses, work that build up better and do explore different mixes for different parts. Yeah. And uh with that, gotta bring this episode of Mix Crypt Monday to uh to an end. Thank you for being with me, John Douglas. And uh yeah, thanks to everybody for listening and uh I hope that you guys tune in on May 22nd, 2018 to watch Carl Bound show us all how this mix is done for real. Yeah. For realsies. For reals. To get in touch with the URM podcast, visit URM.com slash podcast and subscribe today.